Dear Heavenly Father, even as Your Son shined with radiant glory on the Mount of Transfiguration, so may His light shine into our hearts and shine into our world, overcoming all darkness. We thank You for the perfect life and death of Your Son, for His resurrection and present reign. We thank You for His promise to come again in glory at the last day and to bring us into His new creation through the resurrection. And now, dear Lord, through the new and living way He has opened for us into Your heavenly sanctuary, today we come boldly before Your throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We pray these things, O Father, giving You thanks and praise in the power of Your Holy Spirit and in the name of Your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to read a couple other passages this morning. This is from Philippians 4, verses 4-7. through The Apostle Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. This is the Word of the Lord. Let us pray. Now, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts, O Lord, be pleasing in Your sight, our Rock and our Kinsman Redeemer. Amen. I have a friend who is a pastor and he recently began a sermon telling the congregation, uh, don't get too comfortable because you're about to be made very uncomfortable. And that's probably a good way to start this morning. There are a few topics that make us squirm more than worry. We all worry, but none of us want to be known as worried. Think of all the things, the, the, the worries that we have that we are prone to in any given day. Worries we try to suppress, but that just keep popping up. You know, if money is tight, uh, you worry. Will we have enough? Will we have enough in the checking account to get us through the month? Uh, if you've got a lot of money, uh, then you wonder, well, will my investments hold their value? What if the stock market tanks? You've got to worry about that. Uh, we worry if people will like us. We worry what they will think of us. We worry if that nagging pain is actually something uh, really serious. We worry about the double bacon cheeseburger we had for lunch and what it might do to our cholesterol. We worry about the kids. Oh, how we worry about our kids. When they're little, we worry if they'll fall off the swing in the backyard. When they're big, we wonder if they'll fall in with the wrong crowd at college. We worry about safety when we travel. We worry about job security. We worry about uh, that tragic story we just heard on the news. And then we worry that maybe all the news we're hearing is actually fake news. We worry if we're too skinny or too fat, too tall or too short. We worry about getting older. We worry about getting sick. We worry about death. We worry about relationships. We worry about failing. And we worry about succeeding, how we might handle success. The list of worries is literally quite endless. 
for virtually all of us, worry is a constant fact of life. It is a chronic condition, sometimes very acute, but certainly chronic. Anxiety is now perhaps the most distinguishing feature of our modern Western society compared to all that has gone before. Uh, We have greater prosperity than any people who have ever lived in the history of the world, and yet we have more worries. We have more anxiety disorders than any other society in history. And I don't have to give you the statistics on this. We see it all around us. The number of anxiety disorders that are diagnosed, the money that is spent on their treatment, the money that is lost and lost productivity uh, because of uh, these things. It's simply staggering. This is a huge cultural issue. Uh, One of the articles that I uh, read recently uh, in the run-up to this sermon was entitled, Americans are snapping by the millions. (laughs) If you weren't worried before, that article headline is enough to make you worry, right? Uh, But that pretty much sums it up, where we are as a society. Now, what is worry? What exactly is worry? Let me start with a definition. I'm going to give you a really clinical, uh, technical, sophisticated definition of worry. Worry is considering the future and freaking out about it. That's worry. Worry is freaking out about the future. Worry is the opposite of hope. You will either have hope for the future or you will worry about the future, but you can't do both at the same time. Worry is anti-gospel. Instead of good news, it's bad news. It is a, a message of bad news we preach to ourselves, a message of hopelessness and despair. Worry is a particular posture towards tomorrow, towards the future. When we worry, we become prophets of doom and gloom. We are prophesying disaster. Worry is when we let our fears about the future take root and get hold in us. Worry is what happens, indeed, when we let our fears disciple us, specifically our fears about the future. Worry is letting our fears become our masters, even our gods. So they control us. They dictate to us. Uh, Many of our lives, I think, should have warnings attached, warning labels on them. Like, you know how those aerosol cans will come with warnings that will say, warning, contents under pressure? That's probably the kind of warning that needs to be slapped on a lot of our lives. We constantly feel under pressure. Our worries put pressure on us. They can wear us out. They can stress us out. Because of all of this, worry is really diagnostic. Your worries tell you a lot about yourself. Your worries uh, reveal your idols. And I don't mean that you can't be a Christian and worry, but I just mean they, they show you those weak points in your faith, those other gods you're tempted to serve. Whatever you fear most reveals where you trust God the least. Our worries usually start small. It's a little nagging fear that something might go wrong. But if we feed our worries, if we nurture those fears, they grow up big and strong, and pretty soon they're asking for the car keys. And they want to take control and steer us away from where we really need to go. Worry can do that. It can overtake your life. It can hijack your life. Worry can cripple us. It can paralyze us so that we cannot do the things we really need to do. In this way, our worries can actually become self-fulfilling prophecies of doom about the future. We're worried about something. Because our worries paralyze us, we can't do what we need to do, and then the thing we were worried about actually comes to pass. Worry can cause health problems. Any doctor will tell you that. Worry can cause insomnia. 
Worry will make you wish that your mattress had come with uh, an instruction manual so you could get to sleep uh, because your worries will keep you up at night. Worry can, can lead us into other sins. Uh, you know, the thing about sins, uh, sins usually travel in packs. Uh, sin, you know, there's, it's rare that one sin will creep up on you. It's usually a lot of sins traveling together and you kind of get into this downward spiral of sin. One sin brings with it all its friends. And so it is with worry. So for example, worry about finances leads to a host of other sins. It can lead to covetousness and envy and stinginess and even to theft. Worry about relationships can lead you to be sullen and withdrawn. Or worry about relationships can lead you to compromise your convictions in the hope of fitting in and being liked by others. Worry about your children, how your children are turning out, can lead you to be impatient and angry with them, exasperating them, the very thing Paul says not to do in Ephesians 6. Worry, again, can cause a downward spiral into all kinds of other troubles. So, you know, that's the bad news, worry brings with it this whole pack of sins. But that also means if we can defeat the sin of worry, we might be able to kill several, several other sins in the process. We can kill several birds with this one stone. We can just defeat worry. When we worry, we think we are preparing ourselves for a crisis should it come to pass. But actually, we are doing the opposite. Worry never prepares you for anything. When we should be feeding our faith and starving our fears, all too often we do exactly the opposite. Again, we let worry hijack our Christian lives. Now, if we're going to deal with worry, what do we need? What we need is a game plan. We need a game plan for dealing with worry. Think about what a game plan is. You know, when a football coach puts together a game plan, what does that mean? The football coach does not know a single thing that is going to happen in the game. He doesn't even know who's going to win the coin toss. He is surrounded by unknowns. He can't control the game at all. But that does not mean he goes in unprepared. He formulates a game plan, and his game plan gives him a basic orientation to the future, a basic orientation to the game, so he can deal with whatever arises. He can deal with adversity when it comes. That's what we need, a game plan for dealing with worry. So how do we deal with worry? What is our game plan for anxiety? Well, I think in the three passages we have read today, from Matthew 6, from Philippians 4, and from 1 Peter 5, we have three antidotes, three remedies the divine physician prescribes to heal our anxious minds and our anxious hearts. And I want to walk through each one of these this morning uh, and show you how together they give us the ingredients of a game plan. But I want to say a couple things at the outset here, a few caveats before I really get into this. The scripture gives us very unique counsel uh, in order to stop our worrying, in order to deal with our worrying. Very different than what you find out there in the world. See, this is such a, a culture-wide issue. Uh, it, it's such a, a huge social issue in, uh, in our day. You can find all kinds of secular books out there uh, about worry. And, and they tend to take the same basic strategy. Uh, it's to talk back to your fears. And basically, it's to dismiss your fears as irrational. The way you deal with your worries is you just tell yourself that all those things you're worried about probably won't happen. And you know, sometimes 
that's true. Uh, sometimes the things we fear don't come to pass. If your great fear in life is that uh, aliens are going to invade our planet, I would tell you, you know, you can probably dismiss that worry. That's not something you really need to, uh, to, to, to fear. And yet, that kind of counsel, the world's counsel against worry, still comes up short, and I think we all know why. Because sometimes those things we're most worried about do come to pass. Sometimes our worries and our fears about the future are very realistic. Sometimes the lump does turn out to be a tumor. Sometimes you do fail the test you were so worried about. Sometimes your child really does get hit or get, uh, get, get, get hurt. In a fallen world, bad things do happen. Bad things do come to pass. And so there is no deep or lasting comfort in pretending that they don't. There's no deep or lasting comfort in pretending that you're somehow going to be the exception. That these, oh, these things happen to everybody else, but they won't happen to me. You, you cannot overcome your worries through the so-called power of positive thinking because we live in a fallen world. And so you've got to fight worry with truth, not with lies, with reality, and not by pretending. And so in these three passages we've read, we have really what amounts to a triple cure. Now, these, these three scriptures in front of us this morning certainly don't uh, exhaust uh, God's way of addressing our worries. For that, we could have to, we'd have to go to a number of other passages, especially the Psalms. You will find many of the Psalms are about the psalmist who is worried and anxious about the future in some way, turning to God. And there's all kinds of instruction there, and it would fit really well, it would mesh really well with what we'll see in these passages. We're not trying to be exhaustive this morning uh, because game plans are never exhaustive, but I do want to give you uh, some insight here that comes from God's Word, how God addresses our worries. Let's start with that Matthew 6 passage. Uh, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. And in this particular passage, in this section of Jesus' teaching, Jesus is piling up reason after reason why his disciples do not need to be anxious. Three times in this passage he says, do not worry. It's just a flat out command. Do not worry. Just like do not murder, do not steal, any other number of commands we could throw out. Do not worry. Verse 25, verse 31, verse 34, you see this. But Jesus doesn't just issue bare commands, he gives reasons. And so interspersed, amongst these commands to not worry, are arguments. Arguments Jesus makes against worry. And they're solid arguments. They're sound arguments. Let's walk through them. Verse 25, Jesus says, get your priorities straight. If we have our priorities straight, we can avoid worry. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink or wear because life does not consist in these things. For people of the world, life does consist in those things, whether considered as necessities or as luxuries. But for the disciples of Jesus, life is so much more. Life does not consist in these things, so don't worry about them. And then Jesus goes on to use the flora and the fauna to illustrate his point. He says, God the Father takes care of the birds of heaven and the flowers of the field. And then this is where the argument comes in, the logic of it. Jesus says, you are far more important to God than birds and flowers. If you know how important God you are to God, then you can understand what really ought to be most important in your own life. 
And indeed, Jesus here is showing we insult God when we worry about these things because we are acting as if God can't be trusted. We're insulting God because we're acting as if He can't be trusted to take care of us and of our needs. And indeed, I think what Jesus addresses here is a real thing. A lot of us spend way too much time and energy worrying about having not just clothes, but having just the right clothes, or not just what we're going to eat, but just the right food. Jesus says, that's needless. You don't need to, to worry about those things. Jesus points out that worry doesn't do any good in verse 27. It says, worry does not add a cubit to your stature. That is, worry doesn't make you any greater. Think about this. Is there ever any time in your life when worry has helped you? When worry pulled you through a hard time? Does anybody arrive safely at their destination and say, boy, I sure am glad we worried. <laughs> we wouldn't have made it safely had we not worried so much along the way. Does any athlete, after his team has come back and won a great victory, does any athlete say, you know, it was really tough out there, the game was really close, but worry pulled us through. I'm so glad we really started worrying in the third quarter when we fell behind because we couldn't have come back had we not worried. No, nobody ever says that. Does anybody ever say, you know, the money sure was tight last month, but thanks to all our worry, we made ends meet? No, nobody ever says that. Does anyone ever say, oh, that time of trial sure was hard. I only wish I had worried a little more, then it would not have been so bad. No, again, nobody ever says that. Worry has never helped anyone in any way. Worry does not add a cubit to your stature. Worry adds nothing to the quality of your life. It never accomplishes anything fruitful. That's Jesus' argument. It doesn't do any good. Then in verses 28 to 30, Jesus really pushes back hard against our worries. He says you don't need to worry because God cares for you. And see, this is what you have to know. This is what you absolutely have to know. To refute worry. The absolute bedrock of your life has to be the goodness of God. That has to be the bedrock your life is resting on. The goodness of God. Then you can deal with your worries. You have to know God is good. You have to know He cares for you. That He's looking out for you. You have to know that everything is going to turn out okay. In fact, not just okay. Better than okay. Everything is going to turn out good. You just have to know that. The good God guarantees a good ending for all of His children. That is what will drive your worries away. Our lives may feel out of control. But even then, they're under God's control and God is good and His intentions towards us and His purposes for us are always good. This has just got to be the bedrock of your life. It's got to be what, what, what colors and textures every aspect of your life. Knowing that God is good. Knowing that God cares. Knowing that God loves. The one and only solution to your worry is the goodness of God. That and that alone gives you assurance. And it's an, an assurance only God can give. There's no other way to have this kind of assurance, which means there's no other way to ultimately defeat your fears. Jesus goes on. He provides another argument. 
He says, worry is not worthy of his disciples. Worry is for the pagans. Let the pagans worry. The, the Gentiles live with anxiety. They seek after food and clothing because their gods can't be trusted. See, their gods are not fathers. But Jesus says, you have a father in heaven. You have a father in heaven who knows your needs and who cares for you. That is to say, when we worry, we're like pagans or even atheists. Uh, we're, we're living as if God isn't there when we worry. But God is there. And not only is God there, but God cares. God cares for us. He cares for us as a loving Father. And so you don't have to wonder, will God take care of me? Because God will. See, worry happens when we insist on taking care of ourselves in totality. Worry happens when we try to do God's job for Him. When we think God's not doing a good enough job running my life or running the universe, and so we try to take over. And so, of course, then we're going to worry because we know we really don't have control. We really can't do God's job for Him. Worry happens when we pretend we are orphans instead of beloved children who have been adopted by the Father and brought into His family. Verse 32, Jesus says, Your Father knows what you need. That's a great verse to just implant in your mind and your heart. Your Father knows what you need. God will provide for your needs. God will take care of your needs. God will keep you alive as long as He wants you alive. As long as God wants you alive, you are immortal and indestructible. Right? God is going to provide for you. God is going to sustain you. But of course, we also see here, there's more to life than just living. And that's why if somehow you did lose your clothing, your food, and your shelter, even if unspeakable evils and atrocities came over you, the kinds of things that Romans 8 describes, that Paul describes at the end of Romans 8, things like tribulation and distress and persecution and famine and nakedness and peril and sword. Even so, as the Apostle Paul says, even those things cannot separate us from the love of God. Even if those terrible things happen, you can know God is with you, God is for you, God cares for you, you are enfolded in His love, you are enwrapped in His care. And so there's no need to worry. You have a Father who loves you. A Father who knows what you need. But see, what Jesus is getting at here, and this is what the pagans miss, the point of life is not bare survival. The point of life is not just to avoid death or even put off death as long as possible. The point of life is, as Jesus says in verse 33, to seek the kingdom of God. And whatever comes your way, whatever comes your way, you can seek the kingdom of God. Now what comes your way may wreck your kingdom, your personal little kingdom. And if that's what you're seeking first, yes, then you're going to worry. The people who worry the most are the people who are trying to protect their own kingdoms and build their own kingdoms. That's a recipe for worry. But if you will seek first the kingdom of God in the end. Everything you've ever lost or given up for God's sake will be added back to you. 
That is the promise. That is the, the staggering and astounding and gracious promise of the Father who loves each and every one of us. Again, honestly, the, the reason we worry so often is because we're seeking our own kingdom, seeking to build our own kingdoms rather than God's kingdom. When we seek God's kingdom, we find security. Because God's kingdom is unshakable. God's kingdom is going to last forever. And then Jesus caps it all off with a final argument in verse 34. He essentially says, don't borrow tomorrow's trials today. See, when you borrow trouble from tomorrow today, that's always a bad idea because then you've got to pay it back with interest. What Jesus is showing is this. Today's grace is sufficient for today's trials. We talk about giving information to people on a need-to-know basis. Grace is given on a need-to-have-it basis. That's why Lamentations 3, in the midst of, of, of describing the great disaster of the fall of Jerusalem, the greatest disaster that could befall the people of God, Lamentations 3 says, the mercies of the Lord are new every morning. This is good news because the world's troubles are new every morning too. Every day brings with it its own trouble, but God says, my mercies are new every morning. And so all your worrying is a waste. Your worrying does not drain tomorrow of its trials, but it does drain you of your strength today. And so when tomorrow's troubles, remember that's really what worry is, over-concern about the future. When tomorrow's troubles come knocking on your door, just don't answer. Don't answer tomorrow's troubles today. You know, when the troubles of, of the next five days or the next five years or the next 50 years seem to be attacking you, remember, all God is asking, all God wants from you is that you be faithful in the present. Don't try to cram tomorrow's problems in today Cross that bridge when you get there. Grace for tomorrow's problems will come tomorrow. But see, again, take this whole passage. You can trust an unknown future to the God you know. You don't know the future. You don't know what it holds. There are all kinds of troubles out there. But you do know God. And God knows the future. And God has planned the future. And so you can trust. Live the life that unfolds before you one day at a time. If you don't have what you think you need right now, it's because you actually don't need it right now. That is the wisdom of God. Stop looking at tomorrow, at tomorrow's troubles, and start looking to Jesus and looking at Jesus. Again, He knows your needs. He cares for you. The Father knows and cares. Again, that's the foundation your life rests on. Now, you always have to say when you preach on this passage in Matthew 6, Jesus is not against prudent planning for the future. Just read Proverbs. There's all kinds of stuff in Proverbs about having foresight and looking ahead and being wise and having a game plan. But what Jesus is against is fretting over the future fretting over whether or not your plans will come to pass, being anxious about the future. It's a needless wait, and it insults your Father. Seek first His kingdom, and everything you desire will be added to you in the end. Turn to that second passage in Philippians 4, the second ingredient in this game plan for 
uh, answering anxiety in our lives. And I think what Paul says in Philippians 4 really complements the teaching of Jesus on worry really, really well, but he brings out some new dimensions too. And it would be interesting to look at this passage in a wider context. We can't do that, but let me just show you what's here. We start the passage with Paul calling on us to rejoice. That's a constant theme in the book of Philippians. Paul says, rejoice. So he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. He doubles it up. That's how important joy is. In other words, Paul is saying, yeah, life may be hard, but you can still be joyful in the midst of it all. The hard things of life don't have to rob your joy. So we might be tempted to, to read something like this and say, oh, well, Paul the Apostle talks about having joy. And he goes on talking about having peace. But the Apostle Paul, you know, he didn't know anything about the busyness and the stress of modern life. So that was fine for him, but we face different, a whole different deal in our day. Well, look, just remember this. Paul wrote these words. Rejoice, again I say, rejoice always in the Lord. Paul wrote these words from a Roman jail cell as a prisoner awaiting trial and probably execution. I think the Apostle Paul knew a thing or two about stress. Indeed, over the course of his life, if you, you read about the, the various events of his life in the book of Acts or in places like 2 Corinthians 11, you see he endured all kinds of horrific trials. I dare say Paul endured more trial than any of us in this room, and yet Paul was able to say, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. But the really important thing for us to see here is the contrast that Paul draws. He, he draws a sharp contrast. Verse 6, he says, be anxious for nothing but pray about everything. In other words, prayer and worry cannot coexist. They cannot take up the same space. They're like oil and water. They just don't mix. It's going to be one or the other. And this is so helpful. You cannot say to someone who is worrying, you know, somebody who's really, really anxious, just stop it. We wish that would work, but it doesn't. You cannot attack worry directly like that. When you find yourself worried, you can't say to yourself, just stop it. It doesn't work that way. The only way to drive out worry is to replace it with something better. Worry about the future has to give way to hope about the future. And so what will make you hopeful? Well, it's when we turn to the Lord in prayer because in prayer we claim God's promises. God has made all kinds of promises. Promises that are about the future. And in prayer we claim those promises. That's what gives us our orientation. See, in prayer we claim God's promises by faith and we give God thanks. And that is your cure to worry. You know how we all have emergency numbers uh, to call uh, in, in a case in case of disaster. Well, really, what Paul is saying right here is that you've always got that emergency number on hand. Anytime you're worried about a trial or anytime a trial hits, you know what emergency number to call. What number do you dial up? Your emergency number leads you to God Himself. You're dialing God's number. That's what you're doing when you pray. You're calling on God. You're crying out to God for help. God is your 911. And He always answers. God is always the first responder. But we've got to cry out to Him. The point of Philippians 4 is to teach us to drive out worry even in the worst of circumstances through prayer. To turn specific worries 
into specific petitions. Whatever it is you're worried about, name those things, name those worries, name those fears, and then take them to God, turning them into petitions. Whatever you're worried about, just talk to God about it. Just tell God what's on your mind. Tell God what's on your heart. There's no problem too big or too small that God doesn't want to hear about it and God won't do something about it. Or or think about it this way. Your worries are like kindling. And when you throw them on the fire of prayer, they turn into smoke and ascend to heaven. And now God will be with you. And so it's just like prayer is a way of zapping your worries. As you pray about something, you find you're not worried about it in the same way. And so Paul says, prayer brings peace. We need a peace that surpasses understanding. A, a peace that guards our hearts. The same way that the Levites were armed to guard the most holy place, the peace of God guards. The, the peace of God is like an armed guard encircling our hearts. Protecting us from attack. We all want this kind of peace. Who doesn't want this kind of peace? God says this is how you get it. In fact, actually, I'll illustrate this a little bit different way. That word for guard there, when he speaks of this peace guarding our hearts, uh, it's actually a Greek military term that uh, was used to describe the guards of Roman legions who would keep peace by standing guard around the city, determining who could come in and who could go out. Philippi was a Roman colony. It was a Roman city. They were familiar with just these kinds of guardians. And Paul says, when you pray, it is as if God sets up His troops and stations His troops around your heart to keep guard. That peace will guard your heart. If you lack peace, I think here you can see why. If peace is lacking, it's because you're listening to your fears instead of talking to God about them. You're having a conversation with your fears instead of a conversation with God. Who controls that inner conversation that goes on in your mind and your heart? Do your fears do most of the talking? Or do you get busy talking to God about your fears? Nothing else will get you off the hamster wheel of worry like prayer. Worry exhausts us without getting us anywhere. Paul says, stop your worrying and start praying. But when we use worry to fuel our prayers, what do we find? We find peace. We find joy. See, prayer releases the pressure. We talked about contents under pressure. That warning label all our lives should should probably have. Prayer is a release valve. It releases that pressure. So now the peace and the joy can flow in. So what does Paul the Apostle say? What's the bottom line here? Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. What a simple rule for life. Now you might say, oh, but Paul, what if I've got a really good reason to worry? Paul would say, no, you don't have a good reason to worry. You have a good reason to pray. Again, Paul says, worry about nothing. Pray about everything. And finally, turn to the last passage, the third ingredient in this game plan. 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast your care upon God, for He cares for you. And again, you see how this ties in with what Jesus has said in Matthew 6. God cares. God cares for you. Again, that's got to be the bedrock of your life. God's care for you. God's goodness. The absolute bedrock on which your life rests. 
And when you understand that God cares for you, you start to look at life in a different way. You've got a new set of glasses, a new set of lenses through which you look at everything that happens in your life, a a new way of experiencing life. You no longer judge God's love for you by your circumstances. Rather, you judge your circumstances based on God's love. You no longer say, oh, things are going bad, God must not care. You start to look at those trials, those difficulties in a whole new way, a whole new light. God cares for me. How does this trial, how does this difficulty express God's care and God's love for me? How is God loving me through this? See, circumstances change, but God does not. Circumstances are always imperfect. God is always perfect. Too often we are overwhelmed by our circumstances rather than looking to God. Don't let your circumstances rule you. Whatever your problem is, Peter is saying, God is big enough to handle it. Whatever your cares and concerns are, God can take care of it. God cares about your cares. So unload your cares onto Him. If you find yourself worrying, you are carrying burdens you were not designed to carry. You are like a truck that has exceeded its payload capacity. What happens when you put more weight in the truck than it was made to carry? It starts to swerve all over the road. It gets really dangerous. It ends up crashing. That's what's happening when you try to carry burdens you weren't made to carry. You need to unload the weight of those worries onto God. Let God carry those concerns. Give them over to God and be done with them. Again, that's what prayer is for. God is strong enough to carry your burden. You're not strong enough to carry that load, but God can. This is how Martin Luther put it. And you need to know, Martin, you know, Reformation 500 this year. Um, I want to talk about Luther anytime I can. Luther is someone who really did struggle with anxiety and depression all throughout his life. So these things we identify maybe as mostly modern problems. Well, Luther was ahead of his time in all kinds of ways. And one of the ways he was ahead of his time is in battling with anxiety and depression and fits of melancholy, as they called it, all throughout his life. But Martin Luther said this, and this is actually from the last letter he wrote to his dear and beloved wife, Katie, before he died. She also had many things to do. He wrote to her and said, pray and then let God work. Now, of course, when Martin Luther says that, he's being facetious. God doesn't worry. God has no worries and no anxieties. Because He's the sovereign Lord. He controls heaven and earth. He's omniscient and omnipotent. God never has any worries. Luther says, pray, and then let God worry about it. Let God do your worrying for you. Oh, wait, God has no worries. All right, well, then God's going to take care of it all. And so there it is. Let me come at it from another angle from John Calvin. And Calvin also had a number of worries in his life uh, and had to learn how to deal with them. Also, I think, struggled with what we would call depression uh, and with deep anxieties. But this is how he put it in one place. He says, We are to pour into God's heart the difficulties that torment us, that He may loosen knots we cannot untie. This is what Calvin is saying. Prayer connects your heart to God's heart. Prayer is a line that connects your heart to God's heart. It's a line from your heart to God's heart. And he says, send all your cares, all your burdens from your heart to His. That's what prayer is all about. A way of sending your cares along to God. So now they're not yours anymore. They're God's. And He's going to deal with them. 
Calvin says, God can loosen those knots we can't untie. You ever had a, a, a knot you couldn't untie? You know how frustrating that is? And finally just give up. Calvin says, God can untie those knots we can't. It's interesting to me in this passage in 1 Peter, right after saying that we should cast all our cares upon Him for He cares for us, uh, Peter goes on to talk about the devil. How the devil attacks us. How uh, Satan uh, prowls around like a lion to devour us. And I think these things are connected. Our anxieties give Satan a foothold. When you're worried, you're giving Satan a foothold in your life. But I think what Peter would have us know is this. When Satan's storm comes upon us, God's care is our calm in the midst of the storm. See, again, this is what you have to know. God cares for you. When you're worried, remind yourself, God cares for me. The way to have a breakthrough, the way to have a breakthrough when it comes to, to dealing with your worry, the way to have a breakthrough in your war on worry is to know and rely upon God as the caring God. He is your Father who loves you and who knows just what you need. And so let me close with this. What does it look like to cast your cares upon God? Uh, if you come to our Wednesday night Vesper service regularly, you know one of the liturgical forms that we use ends with what is known as the African benediction. It's known as the African benediction because it arose from the African church. And there are many things to love about the African church, what God is doing in Africa. But one of the greatest things is Christians in Africa have a very deep sense of spiritual warfare. And that's reflected in this benediction. This is what it looks like to cast your cares upon God. If you come on Wednesday nights, you know how the benediction goes. All our sins, we send to the cross of Christ. All our problems, we send to the cross of Christ. All the devil's works, we send to the cross of Christ. And all our hopes, we set on the risen Christ. That's what it means to cast your cares upon the God who cares. God cared enough for you to go to the cross. God cared enough for you to die for you. God has taken care of your sin problem and your death problem. Your biggest worries of all have been dealt with. And if God has dealt with your biggest problems, you can know God will deal with everything else. Whenever you start to worry, remember God says, I'll take care of you. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank You that You are a God who takes care of it. You're a God who takes care of us. You're a God who takes care of everything. Oh Lord, may our lives be brimming with hope and with joy. A hope and a joy that come from Your goodness. A hope and a joy that drown out all of our worries and our anxieties. This we pray in the strong name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.